Quite a few years ago, I read a book by Henry Nguyen, and it was called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And the whole book was written because he'd seen a painting. He'd seen a painting by Rembrandt of his depiction of when the prodigal son came home. And in the book, he looks at all the different characters on the painting, and he puts himself in the shoes of each of these characters and thinks about how he could have been any one of those characters at those different points in his life. So over the years, every year we read through um, the crucifixion accounts, and there's different things that strike me. And so these are a few things that have struck me about some of those characters, as well as Jesus. So my first character is Barabbas. Now, Barabbas really doesn't have an awful lot to do with the crucifixion at all. Um, He is an insurgent. He's been part of a rebellion. He's murdered, and he's ended up in prison. Now, the custom at the time was that... um, At the time of Passover, a lamb was slaughtered as a sin offering, but a goat was set free as a scapegoat. And so um, we know that Jesus is our lamb that was sacrificed, but Barabbas ends up being the scapegoat. He He ends up escaping his punishment. And so the thing that strikes me about Barabbas is that he's taken part in a rebellion. And, you know, any, that could be any one of us. Whether we like it or not, we've all taken part in a rebellion. First and foremost, we've taken part in Adam's rebellion against God. And that's inborn into us. And that is the primary reason why Jesus has to come and save us from our sin because of our rebellion. But even if we don't accept the fact that, you know, sin has been passed down to us and it's all Adam's fault and so he should be the one to sort it out, we, I think we can all easily say that at some point in our lives we've been rebellious. We've rebelled against our parents or we've rebelled against a teacher at school or we've rebelled against a person that's been putting authority over us in a job. The thing that I find most amazing is that in three of the accounts, when they go to arrest Jesus in the garden, they go as a mob and they go with clubs and weapons and Jesus says to them straight away, am I leading a rebellion that you should come at me with all these things, you know, and he, what It's not really, it's just the word rebellion that struck me again. But, you know, Jesus knew exactly what was going off. He knew that this was all a jumped up job. And because he says to them, you know, you could have taken me at any time. I've been in your courts day in, day out. You could have come and got me at any time. But here you come and am I leading a rebellion? And I find it funny, you know, that looking at Jesus, he is the perfect model of obedience. You know, Philippians tells us that he's obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that's what's going to happen to him in a number of hours, not many hours anyway. So we've got Barabbas, and we're all Barabbas. You know, and Barabbas is in prison, and Jesus is taken before the council. And then the people go... 
um, Pilate goes to the people and says, I know it's your custom to set free a prisoner every year. Who do you want me to set free for you? And they shout for Barabbas and not for Jesus. And again, we identify with Barabbas because Jesus takes our punishment and dies the death that we should have taken, should have died. And we're set free from that. The second person I want to look at is Judas. So I'm reading from Matthew 27, just a few verses. One to five. And it says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him They led him away, handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. I feel rather sorry for Judas at this point. You know, he has set into motion a chain of events that he had no idea would escalate as quickly and as violently as they did. And when he sees what he's done, he goes to try and undo it. And, but the thing has spiraled so far out of control and the people, are, the people are dead set or the chief priests are dead set on crucifying Jesus that they really don't want to know. And the thing that, again, I think there are times when we can be like Judas, that we can make a decision and all of a sudden that decision spirals massively out of control and we want to change it and we do everything we can in our power to try and change it and we can't it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and I think Judas's final decision is the worst one that he could make you know he he went out and he hung himself and I think if he'd went out and tried to find Jesus and said to Jesus I've sinned then there would have been forgiveness for him too and sometimes maybe we can feel that the mistake or the sin that we've made is way too big for Jesus to forgive us but God's love and Jesus' sacrifice is bigger than any sin that we could ever commit so it's a good idea to make the choice if, you, if you've got to the point where you can't put it right, you know it's wrong, then the only place you've got to go is to Jesus and to the cross. And now I'm going to John 19, verses 25 to 27, to look at two other people. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, 
Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I am now at at the age where I think I could possibly be Jesus' mother. And so I would be looking, looking on and watching my own son, the son who was so miraculously conceived, who was so perfectly obedient, who's done miracles, who's raised people from the dead, you know, who, who should have this glorious future in front of him. Is, is dying and stood there watching it and I, and I cannot really really imagine how she was feeling and I've not had to be in that position but we all share in that pain to some extent because we have all had loved ones that we have lost who have died or who we have sat by and watched die And so we all share that pain and that loss to some extent. And then there's the disciple whom he loved who is also watching on. And his feelings must be different too. Because he's been following, going around with this man for three years. He's believed that this is the Messiah, the man who is going to um, overthrow the Roman rule and set up the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Israel. He has seen Jesus do wonderful things, feed the hungry, raise the dead, heal the sick, confound those people who are trying to trap him in um, religious lies and religious entanglements. And I think he will have been looking at Jesus and he would have had an idea of what his future was going to look like. And his future, he was imagining this glory, maybe he'd imagined a glorious future where they were putting everything to rights and that the kingdom would be established. And now he's looking at Jesus dying on that cross and that dream And that future and that life he thought he was going to have is dying as well. And I think we could be that disciple too, you know, that we we had a plan for our lives and it just hasn't worked out. And we share that pain and maybe we think we're living plan B of our lives because plan plan A has failed or we're on plan C or plan D. Um, and it's just, this is, you know, we're not living the life that we thought we were, we would have. We're not living the life that we thought we deserved or that we thought Jesus had promised us. And so we're there watching that die too. But the difference with all of these things is that we're now looking back on this event. They're looking at the event as it happened, but we're looking back on it. So we know, what go- we know what's going to happen on Sunday. Or, and, or a few day- three days later. 
And so as we're looking at all this loss, loss of loved ones, um, loss of a life that we could have had, we can have hope because Jesus does die, but he doesn't stay dead. Jesus has paid the penalty for all of our sins. And so there is hope and there is something beyond death. There is a life for us beyond death. There's a life for our lost ones, lost loved ones beyond death. And we will see them again. And as we take communion this morning, it reminds us of all those things that someone else, like Barabbas, someone else died in our place for the things that we'd done wrong when they were the perfect example of the exact opposite. That with Jesus there is the possibility that our lives can change and the things, the dreams that had died could be resurrected or the illness that people are suffering could be healed but even if they don't even if those things don't happen in the end it will be all right because we will be with him thank you